0: Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast-creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Orielle McKinney. In both of her pregnancies, she developed preeclampsia and had premature births at 33 weeks and 36 weeks, resulting in their need for NICU support and her son having three surgeries before the age of one. We are thankful for her sharing her truth today. Hello, Oriel. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Danielle. How are you? Doing well. Good,
0: Can you, you first start off um, just telling us a little bit about yourself and your family as we are a podcast, so it's listening and people just kind of get a visual who they're talking with today.
1: Okay, awesome. I am Orielle Ross McKinney, and I live in Orlando, Florida with my family, my husband and my two babies. Um, my son, he is six, soon to be seven. My daughter is three. And so there's a lot of activity around the house. Um, so home life is very busy, uh, for work. I'm a business strategist and I help people develop their businesses and, um, you know, bring their visions to life. Nice.
0: I know that, um, probably switching roles into motherhood and how that kind of plays (laughs) so you feel like you're, um, strategizing the house. sometimes.
1: Absolutely. There's certain times where I am reluctant to take a call because I can guarantee interruptions or, you know, some pseudo meltdown. So (laughs) I try to separate the two worlds sometimes.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Can you tell, are you going to talk about both of your pregnancies with us today?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So just start off and tell us a little bit about how the pregnancies went and then we'll just go from there.
1: Okay, sure. Um, so I I got married and I, I lead a really busy life. So um, my husband and I, we manage our, our businesses and we did an acquisition and let's say March of 13, then we got married by April, of <laughs> 2013, and then immediately got pregnant and had my son um, the following year in January. So it's just always go, go, go. And I, I love, I love the, I love the attention. I'm not going to lie. You know, you get the best parking, you know, everybody makes a big to do out of you. So I, I enjoyed it. I didn't have um, any issues. I only remember between the pregnancies one day of morning sickness um, and it was just water, you know? Um, so it was, I felt healthy. Um, I felt good. I felt pretty energetic. I never slowed down. I wish I had, um, but I never slowed down. I, um, my blood pressure though, was the biggest issue in managing that. So I was like maxing maximum dosage on every prescription drug that they tried and nothing would bring it down. Um, my mom who is, um, She's a registered nurse, and she, she's she been a midwife, and she's been a surgical eye nurse, and she's been an emergency room charge nurse. So she's seen a lot. And so she came to see me. She was like, you're definitely preeclamptic. And uh, she's a bit of a force to be reckoned with. So she came with me to my next appointment, <laughs> And uh, you always need an advocate. You know, it's great if you can advocate for yourself, but it's also great when somebody else can see things that you may not. And so um, she came and she talked to Doc. doctor. She's like, she's definitely preeclamptic. We need to take a closer look at this. And I, um, I was over 35 when I had my kids, so automatically high risk. So I also had a high risk doctor, and we went to see him, and we just could not get anything that would bring my blood pressure down. And uh, so we, um, we my, my mom said, well, I think that she should be monitored, right? So again, she's a bulldog, right? So we go in and um, the doctor um, says, okay, you know, he does this thing or whatever. And we get it somewhat under control. And then as the weeks go on again again, I'm out of control. My face is obviously swollen. I'm retaining all sorts of water. All the signs are there. Um, I wasn't even breathing well, you know, but I still never slowed down. And it's just, just a habit, you know, just the way I work through things. I keep going. I, you stop when you're done, not when you're tired. So not that that's the healthiest approach, but that's just who I am. And, um, you know, we came back and, uh, went to, uh, but the doctor said, okay, um you can go home. And this, by this time, my mom is, she lived out of state at the time. And she, she went back home and um, I brought her up to speed. And the doctor said, well, um you can go home, which really aggravated her. Cause she's like, well, you can seize right now. Why aren't you monitoring? So she was on the next thing, smoking again and interrupted my next appointment the next day. I said, how did you get back here? They're like HIPAA laws. And she said, they can't stop me. <laughs> right? So she took the chart from the front desk and walked herself back <laughs> in the room and she found the room and everything. She's like, well, your name is outside the door and I have your chart. I'm like, what are you doing with my chart? So she literally I found yeah. you. What? Absolutely. So <laughs> she came in, needless to say, um, I had a bed within no time and I was admitted and they said, okay, so you're going to be admitted. And, um, you know, I thought I would be able to spend, because now I'm really early, you know, so I thought I would be able to spend some time in the hospital relaxing, can't do anything, but um, within the next day, they could not get a good reading on my son. So, you know, they do that eight point test, which is, you know, his muscle mass, his movement, all of that, and they could not get the eight points. So they tapped me, um, and they said, we have to go. My husband was in the room and you know he was just fresh out of daddy boot camp because we're new parents. So we did all the corny things. And he's so he tried to control the situation. He's like, hey, you know, I think we should take a moment here and uh assess what's going on. And every medical profession professional just nodded. And iodine swabbed me down and took me right into the OR. So
0: he tried it. He tried to slow the room down. He tried he
1: it. Lied. He said that was the advice that they gave him. That was on the form and daddy boot camp.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: So it was a fail. But he did his part. He, he, did, his
0: part. he, he did his part. He did his part. He did his part. Your mom is mm-hmm. to be commended, right? Yeah. Um, just the presence of mind to bring your mom to, right? Mm-hmm. Even for the first appointment, knowing that. Um, just like you said, it's not that you can't always self-advocate for yourself, but it's nice to have someone else there um, who sees you, validates you in the room, right, with everyone else, and someone that uh, had expertise of her own, right? And brought that medical
1: language. It's it's powerful, you know. It's a different level of respect, you know. And she um, she's always told me how to, you know. They ask you what's going on. She's always taught taught me how to give report when you know, a doctor comes in the room. And so I've gotten, are you a healthcare professional? I say, no, but then you see the level of respect changes because your vocabulary is different. So they figure you must know something more, which is a shame that you even have to approach situations like that.
0: It is shameful. Um, not even that they use the medical language when they're speaking with patients, but then don't explain it, mm-hmm. right? or they use it in layman's terms and then flip it. And so you lose what's going on in the conversation. Right. So they may speak to a patient in layman's terms, and then another medical professional comes in the room and you have no, and they may not have an idea of what's going on. Like, what did you just report back? You know what I mean? Like, and it's not yeah. that people aren't intelligent and can't look up things themselves, but it's the explain it in the terms that the language is going to continue in, right? If right. I'm in, Appointment and it's talking you're talking to me in layman's terms, but then and I get to the hospital to deliver my baby it's
1: a whole new language, right? right? I feel like they dumb things down unnecessarily, you know. If they they have to learn how to communicate, you know, it doesn't mean that because this is not my profession, that I can't understand. So there has to be a balance. You have to meet people where they are, like no matter what you're educating somebody on, meet people where they are and explain it appropriately. But, you know, I think, you know, by and large, people think maybe it's a waste of their time they're just not their heart's not where it should be
0: and that's a statement right there now, isn't it um
1: with my daughter uh it was I had a similar experience with my daughter it almost mimicked the same thing I was really proud of myself when I got past that stage of pregnancy that I had my son. you know. So as soon as I got past that 33 week mark, I went and got the um, maternity photos and did all those corny things um, because I was just proud of myself. I'm like, oh, I, I carried longer. And soon after I had to deliver her as well. And everything just, I thought that it was fine and I thought that I got through it. But once I was in the same situation with my daughter, it brought it all back. It brought back all the nerves. It brought back the nerves for my husband. He's sitting there watching me, you know, get this epidural. And then my breath stopped. And the, thankfully, we had a really good nurse anesthetist. So she knew how to um, make sure my airways reopened quickly. Um, but that was just scary to watch. And then it was scary for me watching him be scared, you know, so.
0: I know you talked about you know, getting your pictures and doing all those things. Like, how did you prepare for both pregnancies? Um, and were they things that you thought about throughout the pregnancy, or things that just came up as stuff was going along?
1: For my son, um, again, we did. Uh, we we took CPR, we took the seatbelt course, we took breastfeeding course. Um, my husband did daddy boot camp. We did all of it. Uh, so, I think it was like um, there were classes at the hospital as well as Babies RS when they were around. And we did all of the classes, walked around with our certificates like we really knew something, right? <laughs> like it was really going to get us <laughs> gainful employment. So, <laughs> we did all those classes, but it was fun. Like, we look forward to it. It was <laughs> like after work, six to nine, like who has three hours to waste every night, right? Every week. So, we did that. And it was, it was funny too, because um, after, in order for my son to be discharged from the hospital, they made us take a uh, seat, a car seat class again. We like brought our certificates, like, Hey, we've already taken this. And they're like, and you will take it again with us. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't even believe in the value of the certificates that we brought. Like, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. So, um, but it, it, that was helpful as well. I'm not going to lie. It was helpful. Uh, and, um, you know, we had a really good experience. Honestly, we were with Orlando Health and, um, you know, we still do a lot of support work for them. Uh, they have an excellent, you know, ho- uh, women and babies hospital down here, Winnie Palmer. And uh, they, it was everything. It was just, you know, as soon as they welcomed you, hey, mom, how are you? You know, um, let me show you this. It, 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 it just made you feel really comfortable the night before bringing our son home you know, you're nervous because you're so used to the beeps and the machines and, you know, the oxygen levels, they're monitoring and all of this. And so you're thinking, hey, I'm going to be home with no monitors. How am I going to know if something's wrong? And the way they build homes, like the baby's room is like, wait, you, you know, you're like, you know, you have to, you feel, like you have to be there all the time. And mm-hmm. my son is like, he was a grunter, you know, babies who like grunt all the time. And then when he would stop, you're like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, so I never got any rest. Cause I'm like, I need that grunt. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the night before he came home, they said, uh, would you like to stay with us at the hospital? And, you know, they had a room for us and they would just check in on us all night. So we felt comfortable bringing him home and we knew hey we took care of him one night here and we could do it at home that i thought was a very nice
0: transition
1: very very nice it was it really warmed my heart and that, that's why they're one of my favorite um organizations here that I'll always support
0: right so after dealing with pre in the first pregnancy and how did that affect your second pregnancy like how did you go into that one then were there when any you-
1: Yeah. We knew that we definitely wanted to have a second. Um, we got married a little later than we thought. And we said, you know what, we always want, you know, them to have each other, you know? So it was always like, a, it was very intentional, but no sooner than I got pregnant. Um, and the funny, and when I got pregnant, it was during the Zika, uh, craze and, um, I wasn't getting pregnant for a while and I wanted to take a vacation quick sidebar. And so, um, my family's, we plan a vacation and we travel in a whole tribe. It's my parents, everybody. And we go, let's go to Costa Rica, which is like, it was like Zika capital. And my mom was like, Are you sure you should go? I'm like, I'm not getting pregnant anyway. It's taking some time. I might as well go have a week, enjoy myself, and come back. Well, on that trip, I was pregnant. I didn't know that. But before I left, I got pregnant. <laughs> and I come back, right? <laughs> yeah, I come back and, you know, I'm like, Something's not right. So I take the pregnancy test in the middle of the night. And um, even, I didn't even, you know, like the first time you try to make the announcement all grand. I just took like a a picture of the, the pregnancy test and I texted it to my husband. So when he woke up in the morning, you like, he turned around, he's like, what is this? Right? <laughs> so we come back from Costa Rica and then I have to, you know, call the doctor. I had to get tested from the County um, and go through all those Zika protocols. But that was really scary. Cause then I had to decide if my child, if I was positive, what would i do right because quality of life it's you know it's really it was really a heavy decision mm. um so the pregnancy itself went it was it went well too like i didn't really have it was the same no morning sickness it, i didn't slow down um like i said i wish i would have uh but uh it's just it's just my nature it was just it was fast but then again i got very swollen i got pre you know, they had to, you know, both pregnancies give me a lot of magnesium and take the swelling off my brain. Uh, And then people have to realize that like six months postpartum, you're still preeclamptic. You can still fall into eclampsia and it can be a very tragic outcome. And we just need to know about that more and talk about that more and be aware of it. But it's just, um, you know, the the prescription drugs that they were giving me just did not work for me at all. My body didn't respond to it.
0: Did you have any other pre-existing conditions like PCOS or anything like that?
1: No. Well, I I had high blood pressure since I was 27. So, Mm -hmm. you know, quite some time before I was pregnant and I had fibroids, which I had removed, you know, years before. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was prone to that. Uh, so I always watch my hormone levels and things like that, because that it was, that was just too much. I don't want to, you know, return there. Uh, and that was it. But once, you know, so I'm, I'm thankful that I did have that myomectomy to get rid of the fibroids or else I wouldn't have been able to have a successful pregnancy. I don't think. Um, and, uh, but those were the only pre-existing conditions that I had. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, talk to me about your actual birth experiences with your babies. Like when you basically knew you once, I know you talked about with your son, how we left off where, you know, you had to go into your surgery, but going from there, how were things for you?
1: From there, we had a birth plan and we knew what we wanted and, you know, what we wanted to bring, all that sort of stuff. And um, you can order gourmet meals. You could do everything at this hospital. Um, Nothing went according to plan. I couldn't really move after. Um, I, my husband had, he kept going from NICU to recovery, NICU to recovery. And so I remember when they rushed me out of the room, the last thing I said to him was, um, grab my purse, <laughs> you know, cause it was emergency. So I still have my bag at the store at the um, hospital. So, um, when he, when I opened my eyes in recovery, he's like leaning against the wall, tired. He still has his scrubs on but he's holding my purse right so we always think that's like the funniest thing i'm like and i'm like he remembered my purse thank you right so um but it was you know i was just in a lot of pain and they forgot to give me pain medication so right they were like oh yeah my husband's like um she's in a lot of pain here yeah so they forgot to give me pain medication and so we had to remedy that um and then I stayed behind uh, after. The funny thing is, I didn't have any pre existing conditions, but um, between the pregnancies, I, I've had to have a lot of like corrective surgeries because I got, I developed hernias and, you know, I have a diastasis recti, you know, the separation mm-hmm. of um, my abdomen, all sorts of things. And, um, you know, you don't realize everything that could happen to you. Um, After my daughter, I had uh, severe back pain, and I couldn't move. And I remember them, uh, N- uh, Nick, you calling me. They're like, "Hey, are you coming to see your baby?" And I think they were trying to see where my mental state was. Like, do I want to see my baby? Am I healthy? Am I, you know, depressed? And all those things that happen. And it's like I really I couldn't move. I was mm-hmm. like, "I I need you guys to help me." You know, she can't come to me. I understand that, but I also it's really hard for me to move. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I've had to correct a lot of things just to get back to myself and feel healthy again. Um, but the the second birth, I would say mimicked a lot of the first birth, but I didn't realize it until I had that PTSD feeling like, oh my goodness, I'm back again and, and, and all of this. And um, with my son, my, my first birth, he spent three years in NICU follow-up. So he was hospitalized for a month, but we had to go see a geneticist a pulmonologist um a urologist we had to see all these specialists on a regular basis in order to correct everything that that he's had he actually just had like i said he's six and he had his second eye surgery because uh, he was born with ptosis which is the his um left eye never opened naturally and um the the doctor is such an expert but At first, and I'm kind of all over the place a little bit, but at first they they said, Oh, don't worry about it, his eye will open. They they just kept saying that. And so this was on one of the days where we're at the hospital, and then we we leave for a moment to go get breakfast. And something didn't sit well with my spirit. And I told my husband, I was like, I don't even I don't want these eggs. I'm not interested why isn't his eye opening? Just that don't worry, it will open and every other baby's eyes are open just didn't work for me. So I went back and, um, really became insistent and dogmatic that I need to see, my son needs to see a specialist and we have to discover what's going on with his eye. By the next day, they brought in, um, the doctor who we've come to really, um, be close to became the surgeon and, um, he said, you know, i honestly, he's really, um, actually him and my mother, um, they, what they had in common when they met is that they would train at the same eye hospital in England. So, you know, that also gave me a sense of comfort. Right. And, uh, she said, I, he said, I really don't know what it is. Um, at this point we'll treat it as ptosis, but I really can't tell you. So we waited as long as we could, but if they never opened the lid and they created a suspension system. So he uses his eyebrow muscle to open his eye, um, his eyelid. And, um, we'll treat it as such. If they didn't operate, he would have lost his vision, right? So, because if you don't use your eyes, you lose your vision. And so we had to make the decision that that's the most likely diagnosis and let's treat it as such. And my son was born, he was about three pounds and he dipped down to two. And I remember the surgeon saying, he's not the youngest that I've operated on. And he was just, you know, a couple months at the time, but he's definitely the smallest. And so we didn't know how long it would last, you know, Thankfully, it lasted until he's six now because we just redid it. Um, but they said, we don't know how long it would last. And as your bones in your in your skull, as they mature, it'll snap the suspension system. Or if there's any blunt trauma, if he gets, you know, hit while playing or something like that. So it's always been, you know, basketball practice. You know, I'm always like running on the court like that mom that nobody wants to be. Because I'm like, don't elbow my son. You don't know that. You're going to snap his eye. Get <laughs> You know? so um that was one of the conditions that that he was born with and um you know now i'm just learning how to explain it to him because we were just in such a go mode that now he's saying why was i born like this Mm -hmm. and it never occurred to me that he had those questions until he verbalized them
0: wow 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 so how long was his NICU stay about a month okay
1: and your daughters uh she was just there a couple weeks okay yeah. So, um, she was small, but mighty. So there was, she was very healthy. She's still the strongest one in the household. She runs this place. Of course. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just like, <laughs> I, ha- I have these fears. I have these teenage fears, but, um, she's just, she was just really small and she was so small and so light that she could flip herself over. And then mm-hmm. once she gained weight, then she had to learn how to turn over But she was so small. Every time she moved something, she could just flip herself over.
0: Oh, my God. And
1: she's she's still like that. She's sprightly. She's always all over the place and and turning. And I'm like, what what are you doing? Stop climbing. So if we weren't in a COVID environment, I would definitely put her in gymnastics.
0: Yes. So we definitely touched on your postpartum, um, more so physically. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your postpartum experience emotionally.
1: Uh, That had to catch up to me. Uh, because I didn't, you know, my parents live down here now, but it was just my husband and I, and when I went into, um, to surgery, my mom was scheduled for surgery at the same time. So emergency C-section, my mom was in, um, another state having surgery. So my husband calls and like, Hey, this is it. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm about to go into surgery. This can't be it. Uh, so, and then there was a nor'easter where his mom lives and so she couldn't come either. So we only had each other, and we had to, which ended up being probably one of the best things because we learned how to take care of things, depend on each other, um, come up with systems, come up with languages. Um, you know, <clears throat> if if someone if one of us needed a break, um, we can say our break word without judgment, and just be there for the other person. You know. Um, and, you know, we took turns getting up at night and all of that. So that part was really good. What I didn't realize is I guess the trauma behind it because you're so go, he literally would have, cause he also had physical therapy on top of that. So I would say minimum of four appointment doctor's appointments per week for years. And so you don't realize that you're going, going, going and still working full-time still building businesses still you know um keeping up with uh family obligations doing everything um you know holiday celebrations doing it all and so it eventually you just it compounds on you so by the time i went to have my daughter another emergency c-section it brought it all back then all of a sudden i felt fear i don't know why i didn't feel it before then Just it was just, I was just in such a mode that you could not, there's no time to break. There's no room to break. Wh- who were you going to complain to? Like I said, it was just us. Um, you know, I'm a transplant. I'm originally from New York City. So Florida, have great relationships here, but it's, it wasn't, you know, it's not that home relationships, right? So you just keep going and going and going. And then we were forced to stop and, that's when I realized how much I was doing for years. And it all came back to me, can I do this again? If my daughter needed three years of NICU follow up, can I do that again and feel okay? Mm-hmm. So that's when it really, really hit me. And then um, bringing my daughter home, my son he was very, because he was the only one, because he has such intensive care because we were always watching him. He was just like, he couldn't understand that you know our time was divided. You know, I don't even know if he understands to this day that our time is divided, okay? So he, he was just, and that's how I got my hernia, just dealing with him, like not my- wanting to potty train while, mm-hmm. after I just had major surgery. And then next thing you know, I have to get a hernia repair. So mm-hmm. it was just, just had to go. And then, you know, I guess to heal, it's just, I just let it take time. And thankfully my husband's very supportive. And I mm-hmm. think that was that was key, you know, because, you know, doing it on your own is tough. All
0: right. and, and what did you do for yourself for your healing?
1: Uh, you know, the schedule was important. Um, I. Everything is is written down, so I have time, whether it's for me or for work or what have you. Uh, so I, I adhere to that very, very strongly. If it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen um, to this day. Um, I do, I do have spa days. I have me days, you know, get the massage, get the facial, um, just, I, I like, you know, doing outdoor events, all those sort of things that just, you know, give me time, whether it's reading, whether, you know, and sometimes honestly, the things that may bother somebody else, you know, in you know, the work and everything like that, when I'm in my zone and somebody lets me do the work that I love to do, I feel good about that. If I'm sitting here like relaxing and my to do list is piling up, it's just going to bring me to a whole nother level of anxiety. Right. So I just learn to, with support, create the environments that help me function. And once I feel like I'm getting things done, then I can, you know, be better for my kids. I can welcome them back. And, you know, I've gotten things done and I can spend all this time uninterrupted with you and blow kisses and bubbles outside and all of that. And then I feel good. I feel horrible when, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I, I would think people can relate to this, you know, if your child is calling you too many times before you turn around, right? <laughs> right. And and then when you think about it, you're like, man, that's, that's really wrong, right? <laughs> and I hate that. So I like to get my things done so I can dedicate that time to them and enjoy it and not be thinking... Whoa, I don't really want to talk about your spaceship, but okay, you know, I want to say, okay, let me talk about your spaceship because I'm done with my stuff. And that brings me comfort. Good.
0: Nice. I love that. Uh, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners, whether it be resources or advice or anything else about your birth?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, if you're high risk, really, really be on top of it really you know know your family history uh do all your own research uh have questions for your doctor every visit even if nothing is wrong even if you're healthy even if you're at the the perfect age whatever the 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 textbooks tell you have questions for your doctor the more questions that you ask the more prepared they become because they walk in and say well you know what we're else about to ask some questions Let me make sure that, you know, I'm on it. You know, I'm not a regular, you know, push me down the line, assembly line patient. No, I need you to spend time with me. I need to know what you're listening for and what you're doing. So ask questions um, and don't be afraid to challenge what they're telling you. Is this the right medication for me? Is this the right course for me? Um, Are you okay working in tandem with another doctor. So I'm comfortable that I have uh, somebody with acute experience as well as, you know, your experience. All those things, all those things work for me.
0: Yes, that's it. That is perfect. that's absolutely great advice. Um, I never even thought about that one, that having, being comfortable working in tandem with another doctor, like just, we're a team, right? Like everybody be a part of the team and so that everyone is well at the end of it. And there's no trauma um, or minimizing trauma, right? Because even if a, um, a surgical birth is necessary because that's what they're there for, for necessary, when it's necessary that there's that it's minimized, right? That you're not um, having a traumatic experience that's so hard to come back from.
1: Yeah. and. There was one other thing. Um, there was one point in my with the pregnancy with my daughter, my high-risk doctor continued to test me for things. And it was to the point where, you know, all these tests were coming back negative, but he would continue to find things to test. Mm-hmm. And it really started to nervous me. I felt like I was an experiment. Mm. You know? And then he stopped the testing. Like I thought, they thought because of one of the tests that they, they never saw my daughter swallow any amniotic fluid. So they um, concluded that she had a hole in her stomach. So we already had to sign off. And as soon as she came out, they had to whisk her away to radiology to be scanned. Now, she eats better than everybody in the house. She could eat me down any day, no hole in the stomach. But it's all these continual tests. And I'm, I really had to reconcile, are you doing research? or are, Do you care about me? Or what are these indicators that are making you perform all these tests? right and i'm not saying that he didn't have my best interest in mind and i'm not saying he didn't have valid reasons but it was really hard to follow and um feel comfortable in that environment it just Mm -hmm. it nervouses you for no reason
0: right right and sometimes you have to just pause and say do i really just have good insurance right like what are you doing what are you are you doing
1: (laughs) absolutely absolutely it's a game I I wish it wasn't just such a financial you know business you know I wish the people were there just to help but you know I mean profit's not a bad word but there has to be that human element right
0: absolutely because um what was best for her would have been to be on her mama's chest
1: in that moment right and I've never had that experience I've never had that experience and um and you know they they one other thing they don't They're worried about if they tell you too much. So when my son came out, I heard them say he's crashing. And I know I heard it. And when I asked, I said, oh my goodness, is he crashing? They said, no, not at all. And the only way I was able to validate that is when I got the bill for emergency CPR in the OR. You know, Let's say a month later, I got that bill. So that, I know that they wanted to keep me calm, but the truth also keeps me calm.
0: Right. So
1: it's, it's, it's a tough deal. So I never got the experience to hold them right after, um, you know, I, you know, just even, you know, my lactation experience wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. I forced myself to do as much as I can for as long as I can for both. And I had, you know, and, and, even with some of the stresses, like you're like, how are you postpartum? I had one of the indicators that I had too much stress was, um, with my son, I was like dried up within like three months doing all the right things, but I, but, you know, hindsight, I, now I know that it was stress Mm -hmm. and I didn't have an outlet for it, which in the interim, then, you know, what I wanted, what I personally wanted to do for my kids, I couldn't.
0: Right. That's, it takes incredible insight too to let that be kind of like a guide for you as you move forward. Just like you said, how you scheduled your life and changed your life in a way that makes it so that you have those outlets Uh, that's so important. I don't know that every person does that for sure, or even has the space to do it. Kind of like you said, like between the two pregnancies, you can tell where you have more, you know, more time in one to kind of think about after everything happened versus the other and about going through your bills. We always tell people to go through um, their records in general Mm -hmm. to you know, clear up the story, right? Like just to kind of, because sometimes there's parts of it you miss and you can piece it together for whoever else was there. Um, but especially when we talk about moms that have had um, surgical births, because sometimes they don't know why they ended up with a surgical birth or they thought it was one thing and then it, they read their chart and they're like, no, that's not what it was, right? And so that's important. I I've never even thought about the bill to tell the story too, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: so. I was like they they told me that I was mistaken and I'm like wow that's some that's a strong sedative that they gave me that I thought I heard crashing and I didn't but they didn't they didn't want to deal with me and him at the same time.
0: Thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you I had a great time I really um, admire what you um, and Laurel do so. Thank you so much for bringing these stories to light. Listening so to birth important. stories in color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.